Welcome to our study of the book of Hebrews here on the Radio Bible Course. In verse 2, we read that God in these last days has spoken to us by a Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature, upholding the universe by his word of power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has obtained is more excellent than theirs. The writer of Hebrews describes Jesus as the creator and the heir. And Paul does the same in Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. He writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The writer tells us that God appointed him heir of all things. He is the firstborn heir of the Father. He came and he fulfilled all that the Father assigned to him, and his finished work on the cross resulted in his resurrection and ascension. Jesus won the victory. He did everything the Father wanted him to do. And someday, that great day, he's going to appear in victory over all his enemies to take possession of all that is his. All the wealth of the world, the nations, and the kings, all will seek the Son's favor in that day and will fear him. And why shouldn't all belong to him? He's the creator of it all, just as this chapter and also Colossians chapter 1 tells us. But even more wonderful is the word in Romans chapter 8 that tells believers that they also are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And why not? We are in him we are united to him, and what's his is ours by virtue of the fact that we are in him, inseparably a part of him. Romans chapter 8:16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that is, our human spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. His promise to us is eternity with him, and nothing less. And it's based on an unconditional covenant of grace, with fulfillment that depends upon God alone. Now it also tells us that it was by Jesus Christ that he made the world. That word for world is the Greek word for ages. 
He created the ages. Yes, God has a plan and a program. And all these came from the Son. He's the one who established the age of law. And he's the one who established this age of living by grace. And he's the one who also prophesied because he planned it, that time of tribulation and that age of the kingdom, that glorious time when the Son of God will come and sit on David's throne and rule over all the enemies of the Israelites. It'll be a glorious day. It'll be the climax of history. And all the prophets pointed to that time. Of course, Jesus made the world. The Gospel of John tells us that, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Yes, Jesus made the world. He made the universe, as the New International Version translates it. But the Greek word here is ages. He made the ages. Now, you can interpret that world or universe, but you can also interpret it as those time periods wherein God administers his people in different ways. This is also the word that is sometimes translated forever or and eternal. It's a period of indefinite duration, and it has to do with how God deals with men during that particular period. It really isn't referring to the length of the period, but the moral and spiritual characteristics that pertain to that period. So we can conclude that the Son created the sequence of history, so that today there are no surprising news developments in heaven as there are down here. And why not? Because all is known in heaven. It was planned by Christ, and it's controlled by his power. A sample of that is developed by Daniel when he wrote of the four empires that would arise in succession to control the Middle East and Europe. He talked about the end of the Babylonian Empire, which would be followed by the Persian Empire, and it was, which in turn was succeeded by the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great, and then finally the Roman Empire, which ushered in the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it was Jesus who taught about coming ages. It's recorded in Matthew 24 and 25. He talked about that age of tribulation that would come, an awful time of persecution. But he also talked about his return and the establishment of the kingdom. In Matthew 25:31, he said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he'll separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. There'll be a judgment ushering in that kingdom. This future age on the earth was a common hope of the Jew, and the mother of James and John even asked Jesus if they could sit on his right hand and his left hand, in his kingdom. It was their hope. Then the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory. 
Jesus is the full reflection of the Father, not like a prophet who spoke. All his life and actions expressed God, the Eternal Father. The love of Jesus was the Father's love. His warmth was the Father's warmth. Like rays of sunshine from the sun itself, so Jesus represented the Father. What a fantastic claim this is for Jesus. It bears the character of inspiration in harmony with Jesus' words when he said, I am the light of the world. So the writer of Hebrews in verse 3 tells us he reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature, upholding the universe by his word of power. Verse 3 tells us that Jesus is the exact replica of God. He knew everything. He needed to ask no questions to get information, and when he spoke, his words were the very words of the Eternal Father. We need to understand that Jesus did not give the world much truth. He gave it all the truth. He spoke as God, and he still speaks as God through the New Testament apostles and prophets who were given his message by the Spirit, and that message is in writing. God has spoken, and that message is complete and final. And for this reason I say, there are no apostles or prophets needed beyond that recorded message, which needs no additions. Jesus was God on earth, presented and expressed in sinless human form. Jesus was the replica of God's nature. Now, verse 3 continues with a major accomplishment by Jesus. It says, By himself he purged our sins. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I call your attention to the verb. It says, He has made purification for sins. This is not a future tense. There's no purging ahead for those who have been purged. The essence of Christianity is a forgiven people, people who were completely lost and through faith in Jesus Christ are now completely saved and purged of their sins. You have been forgiven, and you will never be the same again if you believe in Jesus Christ. It is not difficult to identify a person who lacks faith. There are real clues. People who lack faith pray for forgiveness instead of thanking God and rejoicing for the forgiveness which has already been provided. That kind of a person also asks for mercy as though God has not been merciful. Think of it. He's asking God to do what has already been done through Jesus Christ. If there were to be a theme for believers today, I'd like to suggest that it be it is finished. All that was needed for our salvation has been done. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, we read, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. It's unfortunate, it's a tragedy, that the good news about Jesus Christ dying for our sins has not penetrated the preaching of our churches. Jesus paid for all sin, and those who believe in him have all of their sins forgiven, past, 
present and future. When Jesus died on the cross, he solved the sin problem forever, and God is waiting. He's satisfied with the work of Jesus, and he's waiting for men to be satisfied with it and to claim that work of Christ on the cross as their own. We're told to trust in that work. And Peter himself pointed out in Acts chapter 10 when he talked to the household of Cornelius there at Caesarea. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. After solving our sin problem by himself, and he needs no others to help, not even you, he sat down at the right hand of heaven's majesty. Now he foretold this in Luke chapter 22 when he said, Hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Many people claim that they believe in Jesus Christ, but not many people claim that they have been forgiven, which means they don't believe in what Jesus Christ did for them. They're afraid not to believe in Jesus, so they say they believe in him. But believing in Christ means believing that what he did was for you, and believing that the scriptures declare that whoever believes in him will be forgiven of all things. If you would like to know more about forgiveness by faith in Christ Jesus, write for our free booklet entitled Heaven's Password. Until next week, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.